You know, there are some religious sects even within Christianity who would say, I know some Amish people believe that it's arrogant to know that you're going to heaven, to have the assurance of salvation. But that was the whole reason for the Apostle John to write his letters and his gospel. He said, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal I don't have to wonder if I have eternal life. I can know. And I do know. We are starting, as I said, in Acts chapter 10. I think I'm going to do a little bit of an introduction in the last couple verses of chapter 9 um, because... It really sets up something interesting. God knows, as we learn and grow in Him, that it is a process. And that is probably no more evident than in the life of the Apostle Peter. I resonate a lot with the Apostle Peter because he had a big mouth. And I have, have been known for my big mouth and the fact that in the past, even the recent past, it has sometimes gotten me in trouble. Just ask my family, they'll be glad to tell you. And Peter was one of these people who had that issue. But isn't it wonderful to know that God didn't give up on Peter? And he certainly isn't going to give up on any of us. We are about to see in this chapter a transition that has been building for a while. We read two instances in the breaking of bread where Jesus reached out to Gentiles and welcomed them into the faith. Remember, he went to the Samaritan woman and said, I am he who gives the living water. And the Samaritan woman said, He told me everything I ever did. Come see this man. Is he not the Christ? And so he ministered to her. And it says in the definitive, He must needs go through Samaria. This was something he had to do. It was not an option. It was not a surprise. Even when you see interruptions in Scripture. Please know that they are not interruptions in the eyes of God. And then we, we all read earlier about the Phoenician woman whose daughter was sore vexed. And she came to Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm come but for the lost sheep of Israel. And Gentiles were known in that culture as dogs. They were not looked at with any sort of honor or any sort of equal humanity. You know, we, we like to think in our culture today that racism is a new problem. But it's not. It's been a problem since the beginning of time. Since the Tower of Babel and we spread out to the ends of the earth. And she says, Lord, but even the dogs. 
get the crumbs from the master's table. But aren't they wonderful crumbs? It's so wonderful to think about. But let's look at this passage, starting with verse 42 of chapter 9. Peter's in Joppa. He's just healed Dorcas. We talked about that last time. I was here. It says, And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon, a tanner. Now, the things that I read about this passage this week, it was brought to my attention that this was actually a step toward uh, a step in Peter's journey away from the ceremonial laws. Because what is going on in a tanner's household? A tanner would have dead animal skins hanging in their home, in their shop. Often in that day, shops and homes were the one and the same. And Jews would consider that ceremonially unclean, and yet Simon finds himself lodging with one who is also named Simon, a tanner. So that brings us to our passage, and I have titled this message simply, God's Expansion Plan, Cornelius Part 1. And I find it very interesting that God's choice for definitively bringing the gospel to the Gentiles is a leader in the Roman government. He didn't choose an average Roman. So he didn't just say, we're going to go to any Roman or Greek on the street. I'm going to show you that I am not only not a respecter of your race, I'm also not a respecter of your social class. So he is shifting a paradigm and showing that the gospel is for everyone. Now he never lost his love for the Jews. He never lost his the importance of the Jews. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. There's no shame in that, and in fact, that is the truth of Scripture. God loves Israel, and Paul told us to pray for the peace of Israel. I'm grateful for a president that has respect for Israel. Because God has always protected Israel, and being against Israel is not a good place to be. Just read through all the ways, all the scriptures in which God preserved Israel. And he did it in mighty ways, in ways that are not explainable, apart from the supernatural intervention of God. And so our first point today is God sends a vision to Cornelius. Acts 10, 1-4. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius 
a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto them, and he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms have come up are come up for memorial to God. And so we see this man Cornelius. He was a devout man, despite his place of leadership, and one that feared God with all his house. And he gave to the people, and he prayed to God always. So this is a man who is devoted to God. He's doing what he knows and understands, as much as he knows and understands, of what God has asked him to do. And I'm reminded of the man, the religious leader, the Roman leader who came to Jesus and said, my daughter is sick unto death. And Jesus said, I'll come to your house to heal your daughter. And he said, you have no need to come. For I too am a man under authority. I say go and people go. I say come and people come. I say do this. And they do it. And Jesus said, I have found so great a faith nowhere in the house of Israel. And Jesus said, go your way. Your daughter is made whole. And when he got to his house, he found out that the daughter became whole at the very instant that he was talking to Jesus. This is the God with whom we have to do. And I want to bring out something very important in this passage. You see, we could easily say that if you were sincere and you were seeking God and you were doing, go, giving alms and you were praying every day, that perhaps that's enough. There are, there are some debates in Christian circles or at least religious circles about whether God will... Save someone who has not heard the gospel. But I think this story will bring out to us that when people's hearts are right before God, he will bring the gospel to them. Why? Because Jesus, when he makes promises, they are ironclad. Let's look at Matthew. Matthew chapter Seven verses seven and eight. Matthew seven verse seven and eight. If one of you gentlemen gets there, if you could stand and read that for us, that would be awesome. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. You know, a lot of people say that they're seekers in the religious sense. And they look at all these religions and they try their best 
to find a way to get to God. And some of them, by God's grace, he eventually brings them to himself. But a lot of seekers aren't really seeking because what does Jesus say? If you seek, you will find. Jesus, there's no maybes about what Jesus says. Only definitive yeses or noes. Every promise of God is yea and amen. And so Jesus is saying, if you seek me, you will find. And that's the situation we have with Cornelius here. He's seeking the Lord. He's praying and he's, and, uh, he's fasting and he's coming before the Lord and he's He's saying, what do I do, Lord? And God sends an angel to him to give him some direction. Now, isn't it interesting that angels don't preach the gospel? Remember when Jesus was born, the angels came to the shepherds and said, the Son of God is born. Go to Bethlehem, find him in a manger. <clears throat> but then it was the shepherds that were the first evangelists. It was the shepherds who went and told everything about what they had seen and heard. The angels came to the shepherds, the shepherds went out, and share the message. So the angel comes not to share the gospel, but to tell Cornelius how he can hear the gospel. William Lane Craig said, If you are sincerely seeking God, God will make his existence evident to you. And we see in Scripture that when men have a desire to seek God, He makes His way evident to them. Remember in Acts chapter 8, we read about the Ethiopian eunuch. He was reading the Scriptures. He was reading Isaiah. He was, by all accounts, a devout Jewish convert. And yet, he did not know the gospel. But what did God say? He went to Philip and he said, Philip, I know you have this great ministry going in Samaria, but I need you to go to the desert. Can you imagine what that must have been like for Philip? God, why would you want me to go to the desert? He didn't know. But when he gets to the desert, he sees the Ethiopian eunuch trying to understand the scriptures, and God says, Go run, make yourself known to the eunuch. So he runs to the chariot, and then he's able to share the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. And tradition tells us there is a great Christian awakening in that area of the world because that man was a was a servant to Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. So we don't know the full impact of what happened. All we know 
is that after he heard the gospel, he said, what hinders me to be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, then you may. And he said confidently, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And his life was changed from that very moment. We don't know what path God is going to put us on, but we do know this, that if we are following God with our whole heart, he will give us opportunities that we never imagined. And uh, I am thankful to say that God has done that for me as well. Even in this time, of COVID where we've had to pivot and change the way we do things. God is at work. God is still on his throne. He still cares about what is going on for us. Okay, so God sends Cornelius a vision. In this second point, we'll see that Cornelius obeys God's direction. Imagine if Cornelius had gotten this vision from God and then said, that's a nice thought, but I'm, I'm really not in a position to do anything about it. Well, let's read what he actually said. In Acts 10, verse 5, we read, And now, some, and now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Going back to the shepherds in Bethlehem that night. Remember what they said when the angels departed from them? They said, come, let us go at once and see this thing which the angels have made known unto us. And they left their sheep and they went to Bethlehem and found Jesus in the manger. That's pursuing God. And that's what we see here. As soon as the angel of the Lord leaves, he says, send for Peter. He tells him where he's at. He says, his house is by the seaside. He's Simon the Tanner. He will tell you what you ought to do. See, God has a plan, and God works out his plan, but he uses people to do it. Remember, he heard the cry of the children of Israel. After 400 years of slavery. And he could have just said. He could have just said to all the Egyptians die. And they would have died. Because he had that power. But he didn't. He went to a shepherd named Moses. Who had been keeping sheep for 40 years. And he said Moses. I want you to lead. My people out of Egypt. And no matter how much Moses complained, no matter how much he tried to wiggle out of it, God said, I'm not delivering them unless you go. You go, and I'll tell you what to say. 
And Moses was able to say to the people of Israel after the Red Sea to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. It wasn't about Moses. It was about God. And we'll see the same thing here with Peter. But I find it interesting, the wording here too, it says, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. This kind of implies that even the servants of his household were devout toward the God of Israel. So it's possible that they were all looking for this answer. So when he explains what went on, when he explains this vision and says, go find Peter in Joppa, they leave immediately and go find him. Oh, that we would have that zeal for the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, if we can look at Romans 10, 14 to 17, Romans 10, 14 to 17, we'll read more about God's plan for spreading the gospel. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So, <clears throat> go ahead. That, Sorry. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who can believe what is heard from us? So faith comes from So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the word of God is put forth by people preaching the gospel. You know, there's a lot of entertainment ways that people try to reach people. They use film today. They use music today. And those things are not wrong in and of themselves. But the primary way that the gospel is put forth is through the preaching of the word of God. And if we are watering down the word of God to get people in the door, to plant them in the seats, what are we really there for? What are we really there for if we can say we have 7,000, 8,000 people in the seats, but they're not challenged to change their lives on a day-to-day basis? There's a prominent preacher by the name of Joel Olstein. And I don't know if he has a real faith in the Lord or not. God will sort that out. But I do know this, that I knew people who were living ungodly lifestyles who absolutely loved him and his writing. And that told me all I needed to know about his theology and the things that he teaches. And I, I've heard him preach too. And it's it feels so empty and so incomplete. The incomplete gospel is not a gospel at all. 
Paul said, if anyone preaches to you a different gospel than the one that I preach to you, let them be accursed. We need to preach the whole counsel of God. And that's difficult sometimes. There are passages that I wish, from a human perspective, were not in the Bible, but they are. So it's important for us to preach the whole counsel of God. And as as we as they are going through this, God is preparing the way. Now God is going to come to Peter. And he has some work to do on Peter because Peter is pretty devout. He, he do, he's trying to do everything the way he was taught to do it. He's a very particular person. And he had told Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed, I will never leave you. I will do anything I can. I will die for you if need be. And of course he failed. But God restored him because he repented. There's quite a contrast between him and Judas Iscariot because Judas failed to repent. Judas went out and hanged himself because he, he didn't understand the power of repentance. And also, as hard as, hard as it is for us to grasp, it was ultimately prophesied that Judas would do that. So we have Peter. As I said, he's on this journey. He's been preaching in the local communities. He, he had a great uh, work that God did with him at Joppa, where he healed. Um, well, he started with the healing of Aeneas, and then he went to Joppa to heal Dorcas. And that's where he's tarrying at this point. So now... We're going to read verses 9 through 16 of Acts chapter 10. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up into a housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now, interesting, this is, this is happening as... Cornelius' messengers are going on their journey. So God already knows what we need before we pray for it, does he not? And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. So apparently the people of the house are getting food ready for him. But he falls into a trance and saw heaven opened. And a certain vessel descending on him, as it, had, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creepy things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And we read about all the, the Levitical laws 
and all the things they were told about what they eat. So this is what he's referring to. And the voice spoke unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up into heaven. So we have here a situation where Peter is um, going up on the housetop to pray. Um, from what I read, it was common in that day to go to the housetop to pray because the housetops in that in that area of the world specifically were flat and they were places where you could have privacy. So he goes up to pray and he became hungry. But as he's thinking about his hunger and as he is um, waiting for them to prepare food, he falls into a trance and heaven is open and there's a sheet descending from heaven. And it's let down to the earth. Wherein all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And a voice from heaven says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, Not so, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. There's a couple different perspectives on this particular passage. Some, some would say that Cornelius was showing more faith than Peter at this point, that Peter was full of the Holy Spirit and yet he rejected a command of the Lord. Others may say that, that Peter thought he was being tested and so his motives were to stay faithful to what the Lord had said. But nonetheless, he gives him the vision again and he says, do not call unclean that which I have made clean. You know, I think there's a lesson here for us because even though we have experienced the redemption of God, sometimes we think that certain people in our lives and in our world are beyond redemption. And Peter was told that they would go into all the world and preach the gospel, and yet he was probably thinking that God was referring at this point to the Jewish world. Because he hadn't yet seen God work in a fully Gentile household. He'd seen the work of God in Samaria, so he knew that God was up to something, but he did not know yet that God had a plan for the Gentiles. And yet this is God saying to him, don't call unclean that which I have called clean. So God is working on his heart. I think there's significance to the three times as well. First of all, the Old Testament says that the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every thought be established. We know that God said he swore by himself because he could swear by none greater. 
So God is giving witness to this three times. We know that Peter was given the opportunity three times to affirm his love for the Lord Jesus after he had betrayed him three times. So I think there is a little bit of significant significance to this. And of course it goes far beyond food because God's main point isn't that he can eat anything on the sheet. His main point is whoever I call clean is clean. Whoever I bring into my fold is in my fold. Jesus said, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. And so God is really preparing Peter here for a change in thought and a shift in paradigm. If we can look at um, Galatians 3, 26 to 28, Galatians 3, 26 to 28, we'll see Paul delving into this. You know, the whole book of Galatians was written to Galatia because they were being pulled back under the law. They were being told that the law was still important even though they had the grace of God. And Paul says at one point in that book, who has bewitched you that you should believe this? But this is what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, we are all one in Christ Jesus. So, uh, Paul is basically saying here, all the classifications that you once thought were important, they are no longer in the spiritual sense. Now, some people go farther and they say, that means that men and women no longer have specific roles. I think Paul debunks that himself. In Colossians chapter 3, I believe, is all about family roles. Um, but we know that we, we, could, we could carry it too far, but basically what we find is that in the Roman culture, there was barbarians, and then there was the Romans or the Greeks. Because basically they said anybody that we can't understand is a barbarian. That was the cultural belief is anybody that we can't understand is a barbarian. But God is saying no. Everyone can find a place at my table. Jesus says him who comes to me I will in no wise cast out. So I want to encourage you today that if you are seeking God and God brought you here to this church building, 
that he wants you to know that God can be found. You know, there are some religious sects, even within Christianity, who would say, I know some Amish people believe, that it's arrogant to know that you're going to heaven, to have the assurance of salvation. But that was the whole reason for the Apostle John to write his letters and his gospel. He said, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal. I don't have to wonder if I have eternal life. I can know. And I do know. Because when I was a young boy of about five years old, I made the decision to follow him. It was another nine years of fighting with him before I surrendered to ministry. But I knew that I was going to heaven. And I know because of that, that 1 Corinthians 15 gives me the hope that this mortal body will put on immortality this corruptible body will put on incorruption. And I hope that you're all there to see it. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is, whom I serve. And uh, so I just want to share with you this well, a couple of quotes. First of all, Eric Lavell said, Obedience to God's will is the secret of spiritual knowledge and insight. It is not a willingness to know, to know, but a willingness to do, obey, God's will that brings certainty. Cornelius didn't know what would happen if he sent to Joppa for Peter. He only knew that that's what God told him to do. Peter didn't know what this vision of the sheet was about. But as we get into next, our next message, we will find that Peter too is obedient to what God puts before him. It's important for us to obey. And sometimes we'll understand later and sometimes we won't understand the side of glory. When God took everything, when the devil took everything from Job, with God's permission, Job said, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. May that also be our prayer. And then, final quote, or that was by Eric Liddell, who was um, the runner from Chariots of Fire, but also a missionary to China. That last quote. And then this final quote. God's word is not just to be heard and repeated. It is to be breathed, lived, and emulated with each action. Remember in Acts chapter 4 it said, Beholding that these were unlearned men, they knew that they had been with Jesus. So my question to you as a believer is, do they know you've been with Jesus? He said, if you abide in me, my words will abide in you. What did Jesus say at the, to the woman at the well? I will give him living water and it will be an abundance streaming out of him. Why? Because when Jesus is in us, that's what comes out. Jesus said, whatever, that the thoughts of man 
and the intentions of his heart come out of his mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you want to be able to speak in abundance, you have to fill your heart with good things. That's why Paul tells the Colossians to put off, put off, put off. But he doesn't stop there. It's not a period there. Because then he says, put on, put on, put on. Because you have to fill the voids that are left. When we put off, we then put on. When we put off malice, we put on love. When we put off greed, we put on generosity. We have to fill the void. Jesus said about the, the man who had seven demons, that they all left. And he swept it clean, but he didn't fill it with good things. And so the demons told their friends, hey, there's this clean place where we can go. And he said the condition of that man was worse than it was in the first place. Because when we're putting off, we need to continually be putting on. And that's my prayer for you today. My prayer for you today is that you, like Cornelius, would say... What is it, Lord? Would say, what would you have me to do? That's all he's looking for. He's not looking for muscles. Psalm 147 says, He does not delight in the strength of man, in the legs of man, but his delight is with them that fear the Lord. My prayer for you is that you would fear the Lord. And it's my prayer for myself, too, on a daily basis. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Cornelius. We thank you for this first part of his story that we've been able to look at today. We pray that we would um, be encouraged by it, that no one is outside of the scope of your love. We pray that you would bless us as we go our way pray that you would make your face shine upon these saints and give them peace. And Lord, I pray that your will would be done in all areas of our government and, and country and with our elections coming up. I pray that you would raise up godly leaders. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.